0: starters, who here has heard of the story of Emperor's New Clothes? Anyone heard of that story before? Yeah, totally. Okay, so, it's this guy that's really obsessed with his clothes. This really awkward thing happens at the end. But Disney ended up taking um, that story of Emperor's New Clothes and kind of did their own version of it um, by doing the Emperor's New Groove. Who's an Emperor's New Groove fan here? Yeah? Yeah. It's a pretty good movie. It's one of my favorites. One of those where people know like every single line in the movie. Um, So in this story, if you haven't seen it or if you need a refresher, there's this emperor Cusco that's super stuck up, um, really conceited, really selfish, only cares about himself. He uses women. He uses people. He's all about his money um, and his appearance. Um, And then Yzma, bad guy, really scary woman, scary beyond all reason, um, she accidentally turns him into a llama when she tries to kill him, and so there's this process of him trying to get back to his original status, his original identity of being emperor, because that was the awesome life, and where he's at now is lame and sucks, and he just is all about getting back to where he used to be. Um, and things kind of go up and down for him. There's moments of, like, hope where you get glimpses of, like, maybe he's kind of changing through this process, and other moments where it's like, no, this is, like, his identity is still so wrapped up in himself, and that's where we come to this moment. So, Cusco, he's in this diner, um, with Pacha, and then, um, he ends up running into Yzma and Kronk, everybody's favorite bodyguard, and, um, Pacha overhears that Yzma and Kronk are trying to kill him. Cusco won't believe him. He says, no, you're all about this for yourself, Kronk, and go away. I don't need you anymore. All you do is think about yourself. He says, peace out. Then Cusco ends up overhearing this conversation um, between Yzma and Kronk, where they actually do want to kill him and say, no one will even care if he's gone. And so then there's this moment of realization for Cusco um, that his whole world has just kind of come apart. He looks around for Pacha. He's not there. His one friend in the world who kind of understood him, got him, is gone. And it's been, been because of his own pride and own selfishness that he got to this place. And he goes into the forest. It's this moment where, like, he's kind of narrating the whole thing, too. And the voice is like, this is everyone else's fault, see? And then the actual Cusco in the midst of it says, no, everyone saw Like, what happened? Like, this was my doing. Like, the reason that I'm here is because of the choices that I made. And in that moment where it's, like, sad and rain's coming down and a llama lays on his side in the mud, right, um, and, and it kind of like fades out. Like, we get this picture that even though Cusco built up this identity for himself, he went, he went after all these worldly desires, all these worldly things. Ultimately, he's left with nothing, and he's lo- left with his loneliness and his shame and his guilt and remorse. Um, thankfully, it doesn't end there. Check out Netflix as long as it works um, if you want to see the end. So last week, um, Andrew Hurst sh- uh, shared with us in this first part of this little mini-series we're doing in this overall series of Life of a Disciple. Um, We're looking at this passage of Romans 12, or chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So last week, Andrew shared with us, what is the world? Um, And we kind of came away with that the world is when we go after these desires or these temptations that ultimately pull away our hearts and our minds away from Jesus and away from God's design for life for us. Um, So we we dove into Colossians chapter 3. So why don't you turn there now? Colossians chapter 3. And Andrew had us read this list last week that we're going to kind of go through again. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, this is kind of like the things of the world um, that Andrew is talking about. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Jump down a little bit to verse 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to continue. God, thank you for tonight. And um, Lord, we want to know how to be transformed from the ways that we used to live, the ways of this world, and even just be able to address and recognize like how how have I just fallen to the patterns and the rhythms of people around me and not truly sought after how I can follow you, Jesus, and what you say about my life, um, what what you define as life to the full. Would you open our eyes to that, open our hearts to that tonight, Holy Spirit, as we dive into this? In your name, amen. Um, so, if you were here last week, as Andrew went through that list, like, it's kind of gnarly, right? Like, as as we look at each one of those things and we think about if we have lied or if we have lusted or if we have had just anger be a, a present part of our life over and over again, and, and God ultimately says, like, I didn't read it in that passage, but it says, um, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, that these things are the things that break God's heart, that bring God himself, like, righteous anger in it. And so so it's like, okay, this is what the worldly nature does. And ultimately, it pulls us away from who we're, we were created to be. Um, and in that Romans passage, it says, um, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So conform is an interesting word that pretty much, like if you think about giving in to peer pressure, right? That'd be totally conforming to the people around you to just be like, do the things that they do just because. And it says we've all fallen privy to this, that we've all conformed some way to following the world's ways instead of following God's ways. Um, at the start of this series, we talked about how at, at any given point in our life, we're all being shaped um, by something or someone. And all of us, unfortunately, in one way or another, have been shaped by the world by the culture that surrounds us even like if we don't look at this list like we look at Camus like how is the culture of Camus the worldly things of Camus shaped each of us, of Vancouver, of Washougal, like what things exist there that just make it go, yep, like I've got to excel, I've got to exceed in life in order to be accepted, or because I come from poverty, I will always be less than, or like because I come from a family with divorce, like I'm just going to have broken relationships too. We all fall into these patterns or habits of falling into the world's ways. So imagine these things, whatever, as we're talking about this list, as we're talking about these ways that we've fallen into this stuff, I want you to imagine them like dirty clothes or dirty rags, that, that when we get up in the morning and we're getting ready, it's like, oh, yep, like my life's been really hard and I don't have any, anyone to take it out on, so today I'm just going to be angry, right? Or um, I feel really alone, so today I'm going to put on lust, Um, Or or today, like, um, uh, I I don't feel accepted, so I'm going to put on lying to try and convince people that I'm worth getting to know. And we put these things on day after day, and sometimes it feels like they gain us the thing that we want, That gains us acceptance, or it gains us love, or it, it gains us attention. But ultimately, I know for me, at the end of the day, a lot of the time, when I look at what I've worn all day, not satisfied with it, right? And it feels like, why? Why did I put up with wearing this? Like it's got to be better than this old shirt. Like it's got to be better than these old tattered shoes that I've put on time and time again. And it usually feels us leaves us feeling dirty, unsatisfied, um, and and alone. Similar, maybe, to how Cusco was feeling. I shouldn't point at the screen too soon. Um, to Cusco was feeling in that moment as he's alone too, looking at what he's built up for himself and yet when it comes down to it, he's just a dirty wet llama in the mud um, with nothing, no kingdom, no friends, no one around him whatsoever. So there's a story in scripture though that talks about a lady who totally conformed to the patterns of this world. Um, We don't know the backstory of it. We don't know um, why she did this, but she thought she needed this man that she wasn't married to. um, And maybe she was married to someone else or maybe he was married to someone else, but she thought she needed it so badly that she ended up having sex with him, sleeping with him outside of marriage. Um, And so turn to John chapter eight. And as you're turning there, I'll kind of give you the background to this story, um, so I want you to imagine. For whatever reason, you know, um, uh, whatever reason, uh, this man and this woman they choose, like, yep, we we're gonna go behind other people's backs, whether whether it's our own spouses or whether it's just our community's backs. We're gonna we're gonna reject God's way, where God says, one man one woman in marriage, that's where I say that the design for sex is good. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Joel and Sherry will get to share about that with us um, sometime after ETV. So that'll be, that'll be good, because that's a huge pressure that we face in this culture. Um, that's a big part of my story as well. Um, but for whatever reason, they decide to, to, to get together in the middle of the night. They think it's secret. They think um, that they're good to go. Um, but early in the morning or maybe late at night, all of a sudden, someone barges in, breaks through the door. And there's multiple old religious men that are there, and they end up grabbing the woman, leaving the man completely alone in the bed. And I imagine it like this. They grab her by the arm. They grab her by the hair. She's screaming, asking him for help to stop them. She's half naked, trying to pull a sheet or a shirt over herself, pulling her through the house through the mud, through the dirt, as she's crying, as she's weeping, begging for mercy. They're spitting on her. They're even hitting her at times, telling her to shut up, calling her a slut, calling her a whore, pulling her through the streets early in the morning. And where do they pull her to? They pull her to the temple of all places, right? Half naked, dirty, afraid, crying. This woman has been dragged by this band of men who caught her her darkest moment. And who's there? Jesus. And they grab her and pull her right to Jesus's feet. And that's where we jump into this story. So starting um, in verse 4. So then these religi- religious leaders said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Um, so just to, to back up really quick. So in the law of Moses, right, that Mickey talked about several weeks ago, one of the laws that was in there that anyone caught in the act of adultery, sleeping with someone who is not your husband or not your wife, you would be stoned to death. So people would hurl rocks at you, big rocks at you until you died. Um and, and if you have questions about why that was or whatnot, um, your leaders here, we'd love to talk to you about that, but maybe even remembering uh, back to Mickey's lesson of how Jesus fulfilled the law, that the consequences, the penalty of the law, Jesus took and fulfilled it and brought it upon himself. So they're bringing this woman to Jesus, saying, should we kill her, Jesus, for what she's done? And then in verse 6, it says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis For accusing him. So remember when we were going through Mark, right? There was like all these religious leaders that tried to trap Jesus over and over and over again. Get him to say something that went against their law, um, the Jewish law, or or at times um, the Roman government law as well. So these guys actually really didn't care that this woman sinned, that this woman did something wrong. All they cared about was using her um, as, as a gain to their own trap. For Jesus. And so let's see how Jesus responds. But Jesus, still in verse 6, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So people had already started to gather to listen to Jesus teach at that time in the morning. Imagine like it's a, it's a Sunday morning service, right, that's almost going on. So people are gathered around and they see this scene, this woman kicking and screaming, crying, being dragged. And then they see this question posed to Jesus of, should we kill her? And then Jesus, as everyone, all eyes are on this woman, like, what's going to happen? Jesus bends down. And in the sand, he takes a finger and he starts writing. And lots of people have different thoughts about what Jesus was writing. Some people think, and we don't know, it's just speculation. Some people think maybe Jesus was writing the list of sins for the men um, that were there that were accusing this woman. Maybe Jesus was writing about who God is, the um, that we have in the Torah, that he's gracious and compassionate and forgives to thousands of generations. Or maybe, and I like this one, I don't know if it was true or not, maybe Jesus was just doodling, right? He's like, oh, there's a little sun right there. I remember when we created that, God. There's a tree right there. And the thing that's most important, not necessarily what Jesus was writing, but in that moment, all eyes went off of this woman in her shame, in her loneliness, in her sadness, and all eyes went on to Jesus instead just like almost all of you, all of your eyes, no matter where, where you were looking before, came on to me right when I bent down and started doing that on the ground. So let's keep reading verses 7 through 11. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. It's just kind of funny, right? Like Jesus like gives us like, boom, drops a bomb on them. And then he's just like, all right, now back to this picture right quick. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where did they go? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. First time I really heard this story was like seven years ago. Um, I think I had heard it a bunch growing up, but I didn't really hear this story, Um, I didn't hear it in my heart. Um, and this woman, she's caught in the midst of this sin, and she probably, it probably wasn't her first time messing up, right? Like, this was probably a lifestyle. As Jesus, like, alludes to later, he says, go leave your life of sin. Um, and she, in in this moment uh, of despair, this moment of complete shame, and like, I've been caught, um, she's brought before all these people, and she's like, oh man, I'm condemned, I'm judged, I'm done for. I'm stuck. There's no way out. So like seven years ago, um, I was in a similar spot. Uh, I was in my first year out of high school, and um, I was into partying. I was into drinking. I was into doing drugs. um, I was into uh, sex and using girls, um, and I was into myself in a lot of ways, Um, and I really only cared about me. And, um, and then long story short, just so happened, um, there's this camp called ATV that you all really should go to, um, that I was invited to go and help out as a counselor because one of the things that I had done and I had kept my life pretty hidden and pretty secret, lived a double life, show up to youth group, to church, whatever, um, and raise my hands and, and, and bow down or pray or whatever. But then on the weekends, it was, it was Matt's time to have fun, um. And so I was invited to be a counselor, shouldn't have, um, for Harvest Youth Group. And uh, I end up showing up to Youth Group the Wednesday before we leave uh, for ETV. I grew up in Portland, had never been to Camas, smelled really bad when I got here, not going to lie. I was like, who would ever want to live in this place? Little did I know it would be me. Um, Come to Youth Group. And this is the story that Greg went over that night. And I was sitting in rows just like you, and I was listening And for the first time in my life, after hearing this story of how Jesus responds to this woman, um, I experienced something I never had before, and that was hope. I was like, I don't have to be stuck in these old, dirty clothes that I've kept putting on day after day after day. That doesn't have to be my identity anymore. I was so afraid that if I was honest, if I told people where I was actually at, that I'd be condemned by them, I'd be condemned by my parents, and I'd be condemned by God. Like, why would God ever want to take me back if he actually knew the state of my heart? But in this, just like the woman, Jesus says, like, I don't condemn you, but now go, leave your life, turn from your old ways of living, be transformed into a new creation and leave who you used to be behind. So that night, um, I remember I was driving home after hearing that story and uh, driving back to Portland. And I remember being in the car And I remember just saying, God, um, I feel like I've tried my way of living for a really long time. And no matter what I choose, it always breaks. No matter who I date, it never is good enough. No matter what, like, amount I drink or no matter um, how many friends I have, I still feel empty. And so I'm done with my way of living and I only want you to decide now, like, how I should live, like, what I should be about. And that was truly the moment that I started following Jesus, even though I had gone to church my whole life. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody needs a moment like that. thats this big wake-up call. But for me, that was the way that it took place. Um. Just like in that Romans 12, uh, verse 2 passage, like Jesus said, Matt, like you have been conforming. You've been giving in to these worldly ways, but I want to transform you. I want to make you into someone that you never even knew you could be. And honestly, in some ways, I wish you guys could have seen me um, back in high school and back in college that first year to see how drastically different I am um, than I am now. Uh, like, I had the big old diamond earrings. I had a mohawk. Um, I was an aspiring rap artist. Um, thank goodness that didn't pan out. Um, and, and man, I, I, yeah, I was just so full um, of myself and so focused on what others thought about me. Um, and, and so then that process of being transformed didn't happen in the car in an instant, right? It didn't just all change right away. But it was a series of uh, and a process of God taking me and saying, Matt, remember, that's old clothes. That's who you used to be. Take those off. Follow me now. Right? And these are the new clothes. We're about to talk about that. Put these on instead. And I actually even, like, in that first year, I remember I'm like, man, my identity is wrapped up in these big old diamond earrings that I have. My identity is wrapped up in this LRG shirt. My identity is wrapped up in this empire, whatever, um, jacket. And I was like, too much of myself is in this stuff. And so I'm throwing it away. Too much of my identity is, is wrapped up in rap um, and deleting just hundreds of songs off my iTunes. And I'm not saying, like, everyone's going to go through that process of purging everything. But for me, like, it was like I literally put off my old clothes and, and the things that defined who I was. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 again really quick. Because when we take off those old clothes, when we recognize that what we've been wearing isn't cutting it, that it's not good enough, that it's just dirty rags, when we choose to take those off, it's like taking off that security blanket, right? It's like that blankie that finally you need to decide, okay, I don't need to sleep with this anymore. I'm 35, right? You know, it's, it's hard to let go of. It's hard to say, I'm done with this. And then when we take it off too, it's this moment of like, man, I'm scared. Like, I don't feel secure anymore. I actually feel like, like naked and afraid, like that TV show that once existed or still does. Um, And so God, though, he doesn't leave us in that place. He doesn't leave us without being clothed. So go to verse 12 of chapter 3. And I want you to really listen to this. Even close your eyes if you just need to listen to it instead of read along. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What beautiful things, what beautiful clothes that God's provided for us to put on instead of the dirty rags that we chose instead And if we truly are to be disciples of Jesus, people that are shaped by how Jesus lived, like when I look at that list, Jesus did all those things perfectly. Those are the clothes that he wore from day one all the way to now. And so if we're going to be disciples, we've got to wear the same clothes that Jesus wore. And like I said, this is a process. And, and if you like, are here tonight and you're like, man, like, where would I even begin? Like Where would I even start if I want to say no to that old way of, old way of living and I want to say yes to God's design for my life? Well, for me, I just time and time again, even now, like as I'm still in that process, I say, God, I need your help to be more patient. God, would you show me how to love my sister better? God, would you show me how to love my wife better? God, would I have compassion for my neighbors? God, would you help me to forgive those who have wronged me? And I ask for help time and time and time again. Because on my own, I crave the worldly ways all the time. But when I rely on God, he's the one that redirects my heart to his ways and makes my heart new so I actually start to desire those things. And his spirit that he puts in us that we talked about a couple months ago now, his spirit continues to show us, those are your old clothes, turn away from those. And these are the new clothes. Keep coming back to these. Um, next week, Alex um, is going to talk about the end of Romans 12, where it says, and it's going to go into more of that transformation process, where it talks about we're transformed by the renewing Of our minds. Um, But tonight, what clothes are you wearing? What clothes are you wearing that you came in with? Are there some dirty old rags that even tonight you felt like you had to put them on? Like, okay, tonight, like, I've got to put on my clothes where nobody notices me because I don't want anyone to actually ask, like, how I'm doing tonight. It was just one of those days. Um, Or put on my clothes that I want to be loud and I want to be funny and I want people to notice me So I actually feel cared for And we all have different ways that we cope that we try um, To fit in and and what clothes did you come in to tonight with? Can you see the ways that maybe you've conformed? um, To the worldly patterns where it's just the way it is, right? Like how how would we live? any other way. But what's awesome and what we all need to hear tonight is just like that woman in the street, God is here with us saying, I don't condemn you for what clothes you've put on, for the sins that we've dove into, but I invite you to leave that life behind tonight, to leave those clothes behind and follow me, be transformed into a new creation I actually designed you to be. So that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Do we want to be transformed? It's scary because we've got to let go of a lot, but we gain eternity. We gain beauty. We gain the kingdom. We gain everything that God owns and possesses as our own when we turn from our old ways and turn towards him. And to end, I want to read this story. Um, I think I read it maybe a year or two ago. It's called The Ragman. Um, and it's a story that's from, um, I, I believe it's from India, or I can't remember if it's Africa. I, I got this several years ago. So there's some strange, you know? Who, where's he from? Okay, awesome. I don't know why the style of writing is as strange as it is then, but it's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's strange. Cool. Um, So yeah, so as you read or as you listen to this, um, really get caught up in the story of it and try to visualize it. Maybe don't close your eyes because some of you are about to pass out. I see it. Um, But listen to the story of the ragman. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange like nothing in my life. Hush, child, hush now, and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear tenor voice, rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags, rags. Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself. For the man stood six feet four, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a ragman in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief, weeping and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans, broken toys, and trash. Give me your rag, he said gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up, and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift. To the giver. Then, as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to weep, to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking, yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman, like a child who cannot turn away from mystery. Rags! Rags! New rags for old! In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops, and I could see the shredded curtains hanging in black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said. And I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him when he loosened the bandage. He removed it and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers, and I gasped as what I saw, for with the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood. His own. Rags, rags, I take, old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky and now my eyes as well. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work? he asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him, Do you have a job? Are you crazy? sneered the man. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket. Flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket, he had no arm. So said the ragman. Give me your jacket, and I'll give you mine. So much quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket. So did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve, and when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, but the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk, lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man, hunched, wizened, and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it round himself, but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again and again, exhausted, old, and sick. Yet he went with terrible speed. On spiders' legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits. And then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow. And yet I need to see where he's going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old ragman. He came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And he waited to help. And I waited to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. Then he sighed. He lay down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who had no hope because I had come to love the rag man. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him, but he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then, on Sunday morning, I was wakened by a violence, light, Pure, hard, demanding light slammed against my sour face, and I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive, and besides that healthy. There was no sign of sorrow or age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, then I lowered my head, and trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off my clothes in that place, and I said to him with a dear and yearning in my voice, Dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, he put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him the ragman, the ragman, Jesus Christ. Jesus is waiting to take our old, dirty rags and to clothe us with his beauty and his glory and his wonder so that we might step into who he created us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And it doesn't make sense, Lord. It doesn't make sense that you wouldn't condemn us for choosing the ways of the world, for turning from your ways, God, from sinning. And yet you do. You invite us not only to be made new, but even crazier to be in relationship with you. Lord, for whatever it is that we're holding on to, the ways that we've conformed to the patterns of this world, would we be able to recognize those now, Holy Spirit? to see what things we're still holding on to so tightly and feel your conviction so that we might have the courage to let go. And I know, Lord, I I need courage that even comes from you in that, and I'm guessing my friends do here tonight as well. Because, God, ultimately we need to be transformed. We need to be made new. And, God, looking back with, with what you've done in my life, God, I'm so thankful that you rescued me from who I was and where I was going. I pray that for my friends who need a rescue, that need new clothes, a new creation in their life. Would they long for that tonight? Would this not be a night that goes to waste where they say, no, I'm just going to stay comfortable? But would we all risk a lot by saying yes to you? Your name, amen.